Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June too is it's a quick dry. It dries in about 1 minute, lasts for 5 days, and full coverage in up to 1 to 2 coats. Visit oliveandjune.com/perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com/perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. From the top of the highest mountain to the depths of despair and all in just the blink of an eye. Brady's Prescott has knocked down Amir Khan sensationally in one round. Anthony Joshua's fame has transcended sport. A unified heavyweight champion of the world and the man who's been at the forefront of a boxing renaissance in the UK. An Olympic gold medalist who'd flown through the ranks as a professional knocking out all but one of 22 opponents that faced him. He was a man with the perfect O. But in June, a seventh-round stoppage at Madison Square Garden sent shockwaves through boxing. Joshua's aura of invincibility stripped away as he was dropped to the canvas four times and stopped by the unheralded Mexican Andy Ruiz Jr. Fans across the country stayed up until the early hours to witness this huge upset on Sky Sports box office. Joshua let himself and the nation down. We shouldn't write anyone off, and I think it's disgraceful that there's people out there kicking a man when he's down. To be honest, 
A defeat in boxing perhaps means more to a fighter than it does to an athlete in any other sport. That first loss can seem like the end of the world, and for some it is. I'm John Rawling, and this is Losing the O. Over the next hour, we'll find out what it means to lose your O and explain the psychological and physical legacy of that first loss. We'll hear from world champions, past and present, trainers, promoters and those for whom that first defeat spelled the end of their career inside the ring. All I remember is travelling to the Albert Hall, waking up two weeks later and being told you can't box anymore, so the fire was still really burning in my belly. We'll also discover how a first taste of failure proved to be the starting point for some of the greatest comeback stories in boxing and the catalyst from which world champions were made. I remember thinking to myself, if I ever do, by some miracle, if, if I can pass a brain scan again and I'm fit to fight again, I'm going to have to change everything. This is Losing the O. After picking up experience in the amateurs, there comes a point where a boxer goes pro. If backed by a top promoter, a TV company, and with an established trainer in the corner, a profile can be built along with a winning streak. But as your stock rises, your opponents improve and the risk of defeat increases. And then disaster can strike. Nigel Benn won his first 22 fights by knockout and was defending his Commonwealth middleweight title in a much-hyped fight against Michael Watson. I thought I had the world on me on my shoulders. I was crying my eyes out at a big girl. I just, you know, it was just like because I thought I was invincible. That was it. But it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't because of the EO. It was just like I thought nobody could beat me. Jamie Moore went on to become a British, European, and Commonwealth champion. Yet back in 2001, he suffered his first professional loss. I remember walking out of the ring. I didn't even make it back to the changing rooms, and I just sat on the floor and started crying in the corridor. It was horrible. And I remember Steve Foster picking me up and saying, don't do this here. And he took me, made me go back to the changing rooms. But, you know, for me to do that, mentally, I must have been in such a bad place because I'd lost a fight. Natasha Jonas hit the headlines in 2012 when she became the first ever British female boxer to compete at an Olympic Games. After cruising through her first six fights in the paid ranks, she suffered a crushing stoppage defeat last August. Natasha was dropped three times within four rounds before the fight was waved off. I was absolutely mortified and I was like, that's it, you know, you know the old, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm not doing this anymore. You know. I, I think it's just raw emotion because you know how hard you work and you know what you put in and, and it doesn't work off, go, quite work out for you on the day. And, it's a crush and it's not just the feet, as I said, it's, it's the style of the feet, the way it happened. So, because it's never happened to me before, I was just absolutely livid. Any hope of a much-talked-about fight between Jonas and Ireland's Katie Taylor, a rerun of their epic Olympic encounter, went up in smoke. It's like building your way up a table and then all of a sudden you lose and everyone's like, oh, you're bottom of the pile again. And it doesn't necessarily work like that, but in your mind, because you're following kind of what everyone else says you're building your way up with this ladder and then you're like oh god i've got to start again former ring magazine trainer of the year joe gallagher has guided the likes of anthony crawler and callum smith to world titles 
Gallagher also trains Natasha and he relives the aftermath of that crushing defeat. It's hard to go in there to a boxing ring and to be publicly humiliated, mm. knocked out. She's a girl, a woman, in a hard sport, back to the change rooms. And do you know what? Not one person came and visited her in the change room. Not one. No one from Sky, no one from Matchroom, no one come in to see how she was. They just left me and Natasha in that change room. Natasha crying, hands on her head, towel over her head. And listen to that is haunting. There's been moments in my career where I lose in changing room. It'll haunt me forever. Listening to girlfriends cry, mums cry, fighters cry. It's a horrible, horrible room to be in. I have to step outside at times to take myself out of there. It's, it's like a death. And for Natasha, that was bad. And I got Natasha told to get changed. And we got out there as quick as we could. We got in the car and um, we drove home. And there's never true a saying, it's not who's in your change room that when you win that matters, it's in when you lose. Gallagher was also in the corner when Liverpool's Liam Smith stepped into the ring in 2016 to defend his WBO light middleweight title. He was up against a man who'd become one of the pound-for-pound greats, Saul Canelo Alvarez, and a ninth-round knockout in front of over 50,000 fans in Dallas was hard for Smith to take. I didn't care who I lost to. I'd lost and I'd lost my world title. And, you know, you lose world title money, you lose world title status, you lose, you know, you lose a belt that you, that you carry with you everywhere, you know. And I was sick about losing a world title. I, I, it's easy now saying, because of what he's gone on to do, you know, I, I've got no shame in losing to him. He's a tough fighter. But at that time, you couldn't have said anything that would have made me think, yeah, you're right. I was sick. I was gutted. I cried my eyes out. In the days that follow, the healing process begins. Yet, for some, it takes longer than others for the mental scars to heal. Flyweight Charlie Edwards failed in his first attempt to become a world champion three years ago. He came up short in what was just his ninth professional fight. It took me about two, three weeks of being depressed. I wouldn't go outside my house. I wouldn't go around my local area. A load of my friends were saying, come out, you've done so well, Like we're proud of you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, go out in London. I had to get on a flight, go back to Marbella where I, where I lived at the time. And even then, I just locked myself away in my house. I weren't out and amongst it and around people. Um, then I went on another holiday because I couldn't bear being there and just to try and like run away from life. Um, I was drinking a hell of a lot. I got depressed. Um, I struggled massively. For George Groves, his first professional defeat came in controversial circumstances. After a 19-fight winning streak, including a dramatic points victory over James DeGale, he challenged IBF and WBA champion Carl Froch in Manchester. Groves was smelling an upset and was ahead on all three judges' scorecards as they entered the ninth round of a fight broadcast on Sky Sports' box office. It didn't feel like a loss. Didn't feel like a loss. I think the, probably the one thing that I was upset about was that I'd lost my O. That was probably the only thing that was, strangely enough, the only thing that bothered me was losing that O. Because no one else sort of deemed it a loss, you know. I had to get the rematch because I had to beat him because I couldn't let anyone change the course of history, which is usually what happens, you know. Kings of past and dictators, you know, they take control and they rewrite history and I didn't want anyone to rewrite 
what I felt was the injustice of losing that first fight. So it wasn't going to be at the time. It was Howard Foster made a terrible mistake. You know, was it corrupt? Was it this? I didn't want it to turn into, oh, yeah, but he was fading. Oh, Foster was going to get him anyway. Oh, this, that, and that. And you do still hear that from time to time, and I have to quickly just, you know, squash that. But um, I went to an IBF hearing to get reinstated as mandatory, and I said, could you wipe that loss off my record? And they said, no, you've got to go to the British Boxing Board of Control for that. And I went, okay. Um, so I, I think I sent one letter to... Uh, the boxing border control obviously they just went no <laughs> and we stand by our referee which is what um uh, robert smith said on the ring apron before i think we'd even got out of the ring so i stand by howard foster's decision they hadn't even watched it back yet but it's it's not nice losing but that the feeling of that loss wasn't with me you're listening to losing the o on talk sports with me john rawling in June, British heavyweight Anthony Joshua suffered a shock defeat to Andy Ruiz Jr. at Madison Square Garden, relinquishing all of his world title belts in an instant. The defeat was almost unimaginable and had massive implications. We uncover what it means to lose your perfect record, speaking to world champions past and present, trainers, promoters and pundits. We discover the physical and mental legacy of that first professional loss. This is Losing the O. No heavyweight champion of the world, Rocky Marciano. This fight is over. Floyd Mayweather has a knockout victory over Ricky Hatton. Still... Light heavyweight champion of the world, Joe Very few professional boxers ever finish their career undefeated. Rocky Marciano, Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Joe Calzaghe to name a few. So why do we obsess over the O? Why are we preoccupied with a boxer's record? What does an unbeaten record really mean? And what's it like for those who manage to keep it? The first thing people ask you, oh, you're undefeated, you know, if they don't know you or whatever. So there's a lot of pressure and I, I don't take away from that. Unbeaten British and Commonwealth Cruiserweight champion Lawrence Sokoli, who's managed by Anthony Joshua. In terms of, oh, you want to keep it, but... Ultimately, I, I would never be afraid to take a fight because I might take it out or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like in life as well, once you take the pressure off of like oh or any particular fight, it allows you to be more free to make to make harder fights to just and just be like a better person. Like there's no point in being an undefeated fighter and your whole focus is like boxing, not losing. Light heavyweight prospect Joshua Buatzi, also mentored by AJ may be destined for great things. The 2016 Olympic bronze medalist has built up an 11-fight unbeaten streak and has stopped all but two of his opponents within the distance. So how much confidence does that O give him as he steps inside the ropes? I think about the training that I've done, the prayers that's gone behind it, and that's what becomes my shield. It's not about the record or what they say to me, because the bell's going to go and you're going to fight regardless whether you're, you've been beaten before or not, but... We take pride in the fact that, yep, I haven't, I've also not been beaten before. So, yeah, I'm going to fight to make sure that by the end of this fight, I'm the one that's victorious and you've lost. But um, there's other stuff that I would say kind of that are more of my shield than the record. Akoli and Buatzi seem keen to ensure that their record does not define them. 
Welterweight Conor Ben, son of Nigel, is now undefeated in 15 fights. Has he thought about the prospect of one day losing his O? That doesn't even enter my head, so that's a question I'm not going to answer because it doesn't enter my head. Defeat down into my head. So what's the value in building up an unbeaten streak against rookies, journeymen and perennial losers? Akoli and Buatsi at one stage have both taken on fighters who've lost more fights than they've won. Most of Conor Ben's victims, on the other hand, have been at a similar stage in their development to Conor himself, all of them desperate to take that Ben scalp. It's about having as many learning fights as you can get and then when you've stopped, when you've reached your potential... Well, then you start really having the 50-50 fights, you know. But for me, it's about learning, growing, being 22. So everyone is different, you know. Age is another factor. You know, I'm still a baby, whereas you've got 28, 29-year-old men who need to really put their foot on the gas and get on with their career. Katie Taylor's the pride of Ireland. After a tremendous success in the amateurs, she decided to join the paid ranks at the age of 30. In just 14 professional bouts, she's already become the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. She fought for a belt in just her fifth fight. So how much pride does she take in being able to keep her O along the way? I think it's important uh, for your progress as a professional to pick the right fights at the right times. But there is eventually going to be a fight where it's a 50-50 fight and, and that's when you have to step it up as well. But I think even for my career, I've always progressed. So every every opponent I had has been getting better and better. And that's been very important for my development as a professional fighter. But you can't cherry pick your opponents uh, forever. You have to take the tough fights. And if you want to be a serious pro fighter, you have to be willing to take risks in the sport. While Taylor's already reached the pinnacle, Ben, Boazzi and Akoli are still in the early chapters of their professional careers. Yet all four of these boxers have one thing in common, an O. From a marketing and brand perspective, how important is that for a fighter? Here's top trainer Joe Gallagher. Boxers are very much like a share in the stock exchange. Every win increases the value of them. And what they try and do is keep that up and get that share to the highest price they can be before they have to take that huge gamble. You've got to cash it in and you, and you want the most money for if there's a chance you're losing, you want the most money for, for that loss. And that's how, how I see boxing and boxers. And that's why it's all right people saying, oh, it doesn't matter about the old. Well, I think, I think it does because when you do lose and... I've got fighters in this gym that have took opportunities to help promoters out, help shows out, and they were promised to be brought back. They were never brought back with them fights or giving them rematches. And uh, it's um, very much sometimes you get hoodwinked a little sometimes because you're helping the promoter, you get promised the world and, and you don't. So unless they've got to get paid well for it to take that risk and the gamble, some decide not to and, and protect that up. Hall of Fame boxing promoter Frank Warren has worked in the sport for almost 40 years. Of course, a young fighter signs with me. I want to step, I want him to get experience. It's no different than, you know, when you started your job in broadcasting. You don't get, they didn't say, right, all right, go and interview Alec Ferguson tomorrow. You had to work your way through. You know, if you're a carpenter, you have to work your way through before you become a, a tradesman. And it's the same with a boxer. You've got to learn your trade. You have to start at the bottom. And it's my job to sort of increase the quality of the opposition and you know, to, to, to bring them through, keep them busy and bring them through. This um, having a perfect record, in some ways it can backfire on you. There are other fighters. I mean, I, I remember when um, Amir Khan was with me and against my better judgment, against my wishes, I allowed his 
then trainer and his family to pick his opponent, Brutus Prescott. And I didn't want the fight. I didn't, I'd never seen Brutus Prescott fight. I knew he was a banger. I just didn't fancy the fight and he got blasted out in one round. And then uh, everybody looks around seeing who they were going to point the finger at who thought it was. But he, that, was a lo- that was a loss on his record. You know, our silver medalist, suddenly his, his whole world collapsed. Matchroom promoter Eddie Hearn staged the fight between Anthony Joshua and the Mexican Andy Ruiz Jr. Afterwards, predictably, you may say, he downplayed the importance of the O when speaking with TalkSport's James Savundra. You've seen a lot of matchroom fighters get beat recently by taking that step. You can't really win because on one end you feed your fighters easy fights and then on the other end you're getting them beat. Like, we want to put our fighters in big tests. I presume fans want to see these guys get tested, but there's a time to do it. But what we're trying to find out is who's ready for the next step. You know, some aren't ready for the next step some are I'd rather find out losing is never a disgrace you just drop down to another level rebuild and go again doesn't matter if it's Joshua Jordan Gill Tom Schwartz sometimes you you don't win you haven't performed on the night sometimes you're just not at that level but if everyone goes in there and wins all the time it's going to be a very boring sport so we hope we can get the mix right of developing the fighters at the right time, but also giving the fans entertaining fights to find out if these kids are ready to move on to that next level. But what changes in the head of a boxer once they suffer that first loss? Here's former European, British and Commonwealth champion turned trainer, Jamie Moore. I remember walking out of the ring when I, when I got beat off Scott Dixon. I didn't even make it back to the changing rooms and I just sat on the floor and started crying in the corridor. It was horrible. And I remember Steve Foster picking me up and saying, don't do this here. And he took me, made me go back to the changing rooms. But, you know, for me to do that, mentally I must have been in such a bad place because I'd lost a fight. What, you know, why? Yet for some, it's more than just their ego that's bruised. I thought initially that it was still made a second of 1998 and it was now made a full team. And I thought it was made a second and I thought, wow, I've been knocked out. Spencer Oliver was a promising British bantamweight. He won silver in the Commonwealth Games while still in his teens. In just his 10th pro fight, he added the European belt to his collection. After stretching his undefeated record to 14, I was there when he made the fourth defence of his title at the Royal Albert Hall. He was left fighting for his life after a 10th round stoppage and his boxing career was finished. When I first woke up and they told me, I didn't realise the extent of the injury because I was sort of heavily drugged and everything. And I was looking around and they was, there was like three or four doctors in front of me and my dad was there and my mum was there and my brother and my sister. And they was pointing at like my dad and saying, do you remember, do you know who this is? And do you know who that is? I didn't realise it until about four or five days after when I started trying to learn to walk again and stuff. I just thought, wow, this must have been a really bad knockout. And then I asked to go to the toilet for the first time and I went into the toilet and I saw half my head shaved off with 98 staples going round the side and that's when I realised, wow, man, this is like much more serious than I thought. I didn't really realise that, but it took me a... Because no one really told me. No one said, look, I don't think anyone had the heart to say me, Spencer, your career's over. And so I just thought I'd been badly knocked out and I thought, I'll have a year out and I'll be back. It was like I was just in this... Like, I don't know, bubble, it was weird. It was just a really weird experience. But it, was, yeah, it wasn't until I saw myself in the mirror that I realised the extent of the injury. And then I thought, you know what? Boxing, you know, that's gone. Like, let's just get myself looking better because I, I, looked, I looked terrible. An exciting career was stopped in its tracks. Fortunately, though, Spencer has now rebuilt his life after being forced into early retirement. 
He's thriving in the sport, working as a trainer and also outside the ropes as a pundit. That same challenge awaits 2012 Olympic bronze medalist Anthony Ogogo. After easing through his first 11 fights, he took on Craig Cunningham in Birmingham in October 2016. A close exchange was curtailed when Ogogo retired in his corner in the eighth round. One punch fractured his left eye socket in seven places. Nearly 18 months on, he spoke to TalkSport. I've had seven operations in the last two and a half years of every penny I've ever earned from the boxing ring. I've put into my eyes. I've I've spent a hundred grand on my eyes um, in the last last couple of years. I've only ever I've only ever earned seventy in in five years. I've I've earned more money stacking shelves as you know, and I've never done boxing for the money. It's, I, I come from very humble beginnings. Um, I've only ever boxed because I wanted to become world champ. I wanted to be almost you know, the the peak boss champion and and to be super successful to enable any boy or girl from any walk of life, if, if I can do it, with all the adversity and strife and injuries that I've had to encounter, anybody can do it, you know? Mm. So, I mean, that's always the message I've always kind of kind of give, you know, and, and never give up attitude. I've, I've never given into anything, but it's time I've got to admit that I'm not giving up, but I guess my body for the final time has, has given up on me and, and my dream, and it's time to say enough is enough and and walk away from the from the one thing I've only ever wanted to do for my entire life. Coming up on Losing the O. To all those fighters who are saying, oh, I'm 20, 30 and 0, that don't really matter. You have to fight real fights for you to be in the history books. We're going to be asking who's to blame for our obsession with the O and follow boxers on their road to redemption following that first professional defeat. You're listening to TalkSport. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Losing the O on Talk Sports with me, John Rawling. In June, British heavyweight Anthony Joshua suffered a shock defeat to Andy Ruiz Jr. at Madison Square Garden. 
relinquishing all of his world title belts in an instant. The defeat and the subsequent fallout was almost unimaginable. So far on the show, we've gone inside the mind of boxers in the minutes that follow that first professional defeat. We've learnt what the actual repercussions are of losing your unbeaten record and what it's like to still be undefeated. This is Losing the O. I thought I had the world on my me, on me shoulders. I was crying my eyes at it. I was absolutely mortified and I was like, that's it, I'm leaving, I'm not doing this anymore. I didn't even make it back to the changing rooms and I just sat on the floor and started crying in the corridor. The tears of Nigel Benn, the loneliness of Natasha Jonas and Jamie Moore's battered ego. Losing the O comes at a cost for all fighters. Johnny Nelson's O vanished after just six rounds of boxing. In fact, he lost his first three fights in the paid ranks. I'm very different to a lot of the fighters that fight today and yesteryear and, and maybe the fighters that fight tomorrow. Boxing never defined me. Uh, I was never defined by boxing because winning or losing wasn't important at that stage in my career. I had, I had 13 amateur fights. I only won three. So when I turned professional, I never did it with the intention of becoming world champion. I did it for a bit of dough. It wasn't until I became a European champion before I won the world title that losing was important to me. My old trainer, Brendan Ingle, he used to say to me, the, experience, the one thing you can't buy, borrow, or pretend to have is experience. I had experience in winning, losing, getting a draw, getting ripped off, being, being uh, abused when I'm getting in and out of the ring. So he said, you've covered everything. No boxer has gone through that. So it's prepared you for when your time has come. So I basically had to grow up in front of the cameras. I had to basically have to grow up in the ring. So, so, so winning and losing, to me at that stage, wasn't everything. And I, I understood. Uh, the hardest thing about it is it, it's a bigger deal to everybody else than it is to the, the fighter. I now, boxer now, I probably wouldn't have got through the system because I wouldn't have got the opportunity because you think, well, what's he done? Garbage amateur career. He started turn professional, lost his first three fights on the trot. He's won, lost and drawn. He's not boxed great. It doesn't mean Jack. Commercially, it does. Commercially, it helps sell the, the fighter better. But it doesn't mean Jack. Trainer Adam Booth is best known for helping David Hay become a two-weight world champion. He's now working with unbeaten Brits Joe Joyce and Josh Kelly, amongst others. The O's, I think, really benefit promoters that are trying to sell a fighter that probably isn't what they're selling him as. They're selling him as a Bugatti Veyron, when actually it might be a Fiat or a Lada or something like that, right? But to the, to the masses, to the untrained eye, if, if they're stopping people in the first round, well, it, it, must, be, it must be sensational because you just stopped that fellow in the first round. Then scratch the surface. The fellow he just stopped in the first round had three wins and 68 losses. And of his 68 losses, he had 15 stoppage losses. Now, don't worry about that. He's got a no at the end of his record. It means absolutely nothing. But what about the few who've defied the odds and hung up their gloves with a spotless record? The greatest fighters in the history of boxing all ended up with that. And, and I know that there's going to be people listening to this going, what about Floyd Mayweather? Floyd Mayweather became just a commercial machine at the end of his career, became a defensive genius and was winning fights without actually having to have fights. He's an exception to the, to the rule of 99.99% of the great fighters that ended their careers all with losses on their record. If, if... You don't take competitive fights, you're never going to progress as a fighter. You're never going to fulfill your potential. If you don't put yourself in a position 
in a fight where you could win it or you could lose it, at the highest level, you're never going to achieve. Derek Chisora is one who's never shirked a challenge. The veteran heavyweight's been in the ring with Vitaly Klitschko, David Hay, Tyson Fury and Dillian White. Yet despite nine professional defeats on his record, he's still a big draw. People I blame over this 20-0, and 50-0. Uh, I blame I blame Floyd and uh, Rocky Rocky Marciano because they say, uh, "Oh, if you're the best, you didn't get beat." You know, that's not that's not the point. Being the best is get beat and how you come back. You know, I just think records are just silly. You know, as long as you come in the ring and you give people great fights, you know, no, nobody nobody will remember you by saying, "Oh, he had the best record ever," and you didn't give any great fights. And I believe to all those fighters who are saying, oh, I'm 20, 30, I know. That don't, really, that don't really matter. You have to fight real fights for you to be in the history books. Nelson and Chisora are proof that defeat doesn't always mean disaster. So how's boxing's fascination with the O come about? Here's flyweight world champion Charlie Edwards. Everyone goes on this perfect record. Even in this life we live in now, everyone wants this perfect lifestyle. Reality is nothing's perfect. You have to fail to learn and progress and move forward. And um, in the boxing world, a lot of people think because you get beat, you've lost it. But that's because the media, that's the way it's been designed. And that's because a lot of fighters have hand-picked careers where they don't fight anyone until they're actually ready and that's what slows the boxing down the British fans want to see proper fights they want to see people take risks so what if you get beat there might be a few negative people and there was a lot of negative people talking about me when I got beat and when I was on the comeback trail but I assure you as soon as I won that world title they became fans and that's that's what what it's about you can't be worried about what anyone any other people's opinion you just got to know you've got to have faith and you've got to believe in yourself that you know where you're going and here's Johnny Nelson again I put it down to the promoters and the commercial aspect because it's easy to sell to people that know nothing about the game this guy's a god he's unbeaten no one's ever beaten him you're gonna buy tickets to either watch him carry on being a god or to watch him lose it means nothing it's not down to fights. You think Floyd Mayweather's never been knocked, knocked down or, or beat up in the gym in preparation of a fight. If you do, you're a fool. Ali was constantly put down. Tyson was. I was. Nassim Hamid was. You know, in the gym. So, so, so it's, it's, it's a public perception of what they all makes you. You know, and it's a, it, and, and the, the, the commercially, it's easier to sell. It's easier to get endorsements. It's easier to get TV attention. It's easier to get bums on seats. It's said this guy is unbeatable. So if the, if the fighters have got anything about him, if the trainers have got anything about him, like Anthony Joshua and Robert Kraken, they will know for a fact it don't mean jack shit. The hardest thing about all that is being able to, to mentally be strong enough to ignore the naysayers. Anthony Joshua is experiencing all of that right now. His rise through the sport was rapid. After becoming an Olympic gold medalist in 2012, his progress in the paid ranks took him from afternoon outings on the undercards at the O2 to filling stadia in London and in Cardiff. But in less than seven rounds of boxing at Madison Square Garden, his career was derailed. And it was by Andy Ruiz Jr. A lot of people were saying, who's he? Here's Joshua's promoter, Eddie Hearn. No one likes to get beat. doesn't matter if it's in sport, in business, in life. But, you know, they live in a world where everyone's really quick to criticise. I would rather see people wrap their arm around them and say, come on, son, look, you've been working hard. You've had, it's only a defeat. 
let's go again, let's win this back, let's do, you know, rather than, I feel like British public very quick, oh, you're rubbish, we knew you'd lose, oh, we were overhyped, oh, it's like, it's, like it's, a, it's a hard place to be, a mentally very, very tough place to be when you lose, because it's a lonely sport, boxing, and I think a lot of fighters feel like when they lose, you know, that inner circle just evaporates a little bit, I don't think a lot of time it does, but I think to them they might feel it does, so... I'd rather people, us, the team, but mainly the British public, put your arm around them and say, right, come on, you took a chance there. You know, you're fighting top guys. Sometimes you're going to get beat. Let's go again. Dust yourself down. It's the only attitude to have. Social media provides an ideal platform for up-and-coming young boxers to build their profiles and interact with the fans. But when disaster strikes, it can be a poisonous forum. So how do you pull down the shutters and stop the trolls from muddying your mind? Trainer Adam Booth. How can you judge someone when you don't know the detail? But that's that's the way that's what we live in nowadays. Everyone wants an opinion on something that have absolutely no knowledge of, of the detail. I have long been an advocate of my fighters not being susceptible to praise. Because if you're susceptible to praise, you are definitely going to be susceptible to criticism. You have to treat them as the same imposter, as the famous saying goes. If somebody says, you're great, you're the best in the world, you're the best that, that you've ever done what you do, say, thank you very much. Uh, but don't absorb it. Just say, thank you very much, I appreciate the kind words. But don't absorb it. Don't let it fuel your ego. Because if you do, as soon as somebody turns around and says, you're shit, you're never going to make it, you're going to absorb that too. While some fighters are able to turn a blind eye to the critics, sometimes the personal abuse has wider repercussions. Here's Joe Gallagher, trainer to the likes of Anthony Crawler and the Smith brothers. The memes that they make, the effect that it has on them, the missuses, the children, the knock-on effect from that from the children then that go to school, get Mickey take, get bullied because of the dad or the mum's being beat. And then that leads to the children then becoming within themselves, not wanting to go to school, self-harming. Lots of things people don't see on social media, the knock-on effects. I think they're great with a smart comment slagging, calling, doing things, but don't realise the knock-on effect. And if then people did and were brought to the schools to see the bullying that that's brought on that child's career now, school, them trolls will say, well, the dad shouldn't be in the limelight, the mum shouldn't be in the but they don't choose to be. It's they, they've found something they're good at in life and they're trying to make money at it. It's their job. I've been a victim of it. I have, I've had the knock-on effects of it. And... Um, my daughter having counselling with it and still not right with it. And this has been going on for 18 months now through social media and bullying at school. And it's been very hard at a child age 13, 14 to go through that in a hard time in life as well when they're going through uh, puberty and young girls and social media. It's not very good and I think... When you see programmes where they're hunting down trolls, I always think half the time, wow, you need to go to boxing. I don't think you should give up when you meet a blip in life. This is my career. I continue to fight good, solid fighters. These things will happen. I'm still keen to fight the best in the world. I'm still keen to prove myself. And my ambition in boxing at the minute is to be two-time heavyweight champion of the world. You're listening to Losing the O on Talk Sports with me, John Rawling. In June, British heavyweight Anthony Joshua suffered a shock defeat to Andy Ruiz Jr. at Madison Square Garden, relinquishing all of his world title belts in an instant. The defeat and the subsequent fallout was almost unimaginable.
so far on the show, we've discovered how the perception of the O has so often been inflated throughout boxing history. Look at Sugar Ray Robinson, Muhammad Ali, Roberto Duran, Jack Dempsey. Robinson lost 19 fights. Duran, Dempsey and Ali all had defeats on their journey to getting their legendary status. And what about Manny Pacquiao? Yes, boxing fans do love a comeback story. Ray Robinson is once again middleweight champion of the world. An incredible fifth time. So how do you go about rebuilding your career following that first painful setback? A task now facing Anthony Joshua. In 2004, David Hay was an unbeaten cocksure cruiserweight who took on veteran IBO champion Carl Thompson. It was supposed to be a changing of the guard until the 40-year-old gave the young pretender an absolute hiding in the fifth. I remember going to the hospital after the fight in an ambulance. Um, I remember having a brain scan. I remember thinking uh, there was something wrong with my brain. I had a really bad headache. And I remember thinking, oh, that's it. You know, something snapped in my, my head and I won't, but I won't, I'll never pass a brain scan again. And I remember thinking to myself, if I ever do, if, I, if by some miracle I can box again, if, if I can pass a brain, brain scan again and I'm fit to fight again, I'm going to have to change everything. My mindset... The way, how hard I train, where I train, uh, the way I was living outside of the ring. And I, prom- I made some hard promises to myself. And fortunately, I passed my next brain scan. Other than them noticing my brain was slightly smaller than everyone else's, they realized that it was, I was good. good it, was, it was big enough to fight. And um, I did. I, made, I put the, the new mindset in place. And the corners that I used to cut prior to that fight, prior to that loss, were not cut again. Adam Booth was Hay's trainer that night and he threw in the towel as Hay was almost out on his feet. I can remember the, the feeling actually leading up to that fight and in hindsight it was the writing was on the wall a considerable amount of time before that, that actually happened. Uh, and it was a necessity because if he hadn't lost to Carl Thompson at that time he may not have gone on to achieve what he did. The haymaker would recover in sensational fashion. He went on to become a unified cruiserweight world champion and in 2009 he took a heavyweight world title, the first Brit to do it since Lennox Lewis. And that's now the ambition for Dillian White, although the prospect of a title shot wasn't worth considering when he was dropped by Joshua back in 2015. I was just like, you got your ass beat. (laughs) You know, you need to change, you need to change stuff up. White had to pick himself off the canvas at the O2 and begin rebuilding his career. I was training by myself, doing my own thing. I had powers knocking people out. Had to say, if something can break, don't fix it. Came up against an elite who's been up in Sheffield doing what I'm doing now for 10 years prior to the fight. Came up short. And then, you know, I was honest with myself. Barring the injuries and other things, it was in better shape than me, recovering better than me, it was bigger, stronger than me, fitter than me, doing the right training while I was just doing some caveman training by myself. Then I sit back, broke it down, me and my coach and my, and my team. And then we, we agreed that something needs to change. Something needs to change. 
No. White left his South London base and headed to Loughborough, where he soaked up the university's expertise in sports science to vastly improve his agility and high-intensity conditioning. He hasn't lost since that Joshua defeat, despite taking on the likes of Derek Chisora twice and former world champions Joseph Parker and Lucas Brown. And recently, he took the O of Colombian Oscar Rivas. A world title shot surely awaits. And it's one of the biggest stunners in British boxing history of the modern era. Brady's Prescott has knocked out that was the moment Amir Khan's perfect record was ripped apart as he was taken out in just 54 seconds on his pay-per-view debut on Sky Sports. It was an upset similar to AJ's loss in New York. Khan was 16-1 to on to win, and four years on from becoming a national figure in the Olympics, where he was a medalist at just 17, he tasted professional defeat. It's probably the best thing that ever happened to me, to be honest with you, now looking back at it, because if I was undefeated and I, then I'd become a world champion and then I uh, got beat, I think I would have been disheartened. But because I got beat so early in my career, I learned to uh, build myself back up again. Uh, I wasn't a world champion, so my ambition still was to become a world champion. If I already achieved it, maybe that love might not have been there for the sport. So I wanted to then prove people wrong. And by becoming that world champion, I had to be, uh, was a good way of kind of stopping all the critics. Uh, is talking about me ever not becoming a world champion. So I think for me, that even though it was, it was hard to take at the time that when I got beat by Prescott, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me a stronger fighter mentally and um, made me work harder and made me realise that, look, you can make mistakes and it can happen even at the lowest stage, at the early stage of your career, and it happened to me. Khan did go on to become a world champion, winning the WBA crown a year later and so banishing the demons of that devastating Manchester night. And 11 years on from that Prescott loss, he's still going. I just thought, like, well, I lost my bubbles burst. Earlier in the programme, we heard about Nigel Benn's tears after he was stopped in his tracks by Michael Watson in his 23rd fight. Am I going to come back? Did I, you know, I had to give up thinking that, you know, I was invincible. He was forced to totally change his approach. I didn't know what it was like to fight after five, four or five rounds. I, I, I sparked everybody, so I never knew. When well, no, I had to go past a certain amount of rounds, I mean, oh, I, I felt it. So when I went to America, I'd done three 10-rounders. And one thing is I thought, oh, I've just done a 10-rounder with this tough guy. Once I knew I could do 10 rounds, I knew I could do 12. And that was it. And I was back on track. Simple as that. The Dark Destroyer lifted a world title just a year later. Ben and Khan overcame their first professional defeat to become world champions after only a handful of fights. Dillian White's rebuild has been more gradual, but a title shot has evaded him. Maybe one day, though, he will get the chance to avenge his loss to Joshua in the ring. David Hay fought at leisure centres in the likes of Huddersfield, Bracknell and Altrincham before he was able to eradicate the memory of that Carl Thompson defeat and become a cruiserweight world champion four years later. For super middleweight George Groves, public demand ensured that he'd get an immediate opportunity to avenge that controversial defeat at the hands of Carl Froch in 2013, and this time at a sold-out Wembley Stadium. Digs in deep, sucks it up, and gets it! Watched by 80,000 fans and many more at home on Sky Sports box office, an explosive right hand from Froch downed Groves in the eighth. 
James Savandra spoke to George about his emotions following that devastating loss. I was really upset. I wasn't angry because then it's just being angry with yourself and I wasn't... I felt like it wasn't a stupid mistake. It was just a mistake. Um, plus, you're trying to process everything that's happened. And for me in that fight, there was a lot. You know, there was, there was a lot in the build-up. There was a lot on fight night. There was a lot... Um, many different tangibles that you know, I'd created as well as um you know that were thrust upon me so there was a lot to process but yeah you're just you're just so sad especially for me right then i'd worked i hadn't lost on the way through like six fights in and not knowing whether i can make it or not i'd lost at the very top at, you know at the peak of the mountain and just didn't quite make it so um and in boxing at that stage just like well how do i rebuild you know what i mean i was kind of I was on my own then i was making my own decisions commercially i'm one of the most viable fighters in 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 the world you know just you know just just been involved in this, this massive huge huge fight but i'm not world champion i want to be world champion what's the quickest way back so within a couple of days i went on holiday the next day like unplanned just woke up sunday morning like we're going on holiday me and the missus went uh dubai for like five days or something but within a couple of days i was just had to be scheming i was like planning the route back and then within I box Frotch at the end of May and then before middle of September I'm back fighting at Wembley not Wembley Stadium but Wembley Arena in a half sold out you know venue against um, you know the European champion in a WBC final eliminated because I wanted that WBC belt and I felt like that would eradicate the loss so I'd be world champion just pretend it never happened In terms of you talked about the pain of the initial few hours after the defeat does it get easier after a few days or, or when do you get uh, over it or do you there's still scars there now yeah you know it's, it's still a uh still an ongoing process for me i can put to bed so many things when i finally won a world title and it was such a sweet moment for me at the fourth attempt you know after so much work and effort and at that point it was just sheer relief you know i was just like there's no like singing and dancing champagne jumping up and down it's just everyone's very quiet because by then i accumulated a really um good loyal supportive loving team and they'd come on that journey with me and everyone was just really subdued really quiet i think someone's clever enough to say can we have some photos and we all just sort of huddle around all that nice little smile yay well done and someone says and then you probably shane mcgregor is that yeah, we're brilliant. <laughs> Can I go to bed, please? I've got a broken jaw. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was just that was me being able to put put to bed um, the losses and sort um, of move on with my life, really, because I never wanted that padded out record. I never wanted the hand picked opponents to keep that. Oh, you know, by that point, I wasn't fighting for legacy. You know, I never, I never have been. I never will do. You know, because I feel like that's a, that's a way to to finish your life unhappy because uh, you're then just working off other people's opinions and other people's opinions can change like that. Groves, Ben, Khan, Hay and White all had to pick themselves up from that first defeat. Like Ali, Dempsey, Duran and countless others before, this challenge now faces Anthony Joshua. Boxing is a game of snakes and ladders, but a loss is far from terminal. The obsession with the O is also countered by our love of a comeback. If you get knocked down, can you come back again? Perhaps, though, the memory of that first defeat will never leave you. There's something There's something that will change in you once you've lost. 
the hardest time to do something is the first and definitely when it comes to losing you know once you've lost once it's never as tough uh, as losing again that first reverse that first defeat will always hurt and it's always present on a record a constant reminder that you're not invincible yet it's how you deal with adversity that's going to define you here's johnny nelson the longest reigning cruiserweight champion of all time in 59 fights he had 12 defeats fighters that lose fights it doesn't define it doesn't make or break you and that's why i say to all youngsters coming through i say look at me i had 13 amateur fights i only won three I lost my first three professional fights and still lost one along the way. I ended up retiring, setting a record of world title defences with 13 defences. So if that doesn't tell you a story, to tell you a, a loss means jack, I don't know it will. You've been listening to Losing the O, a TalkSport exclusive production. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, 